You join me as I uh, indulge myself in a very large bowl of porridge um, that I accidentally tipped probably about half a jar of cinnamon into. So, um, cheers, Valtteri. Mmm. And this, by the way, is a celebratory bowl of porridge. And it's a celebration because... I, being a great uh, timekeeper, admin holder, and just a great guy, have in the first week of the podcast, in which I intended a podcast to be released after every race, have already failed. So that's good. Welcome to the first episode for the new season of Formula One in 2022, Avec Porridge. Let's get on with it. Is that the Ferrari hype train in the distance? No. Is it the Red Bull hype train in the distance? No. Oh, I see. It's the Isn't Formula One Great hype train. All aboard, I suppose. From the bedroom of his parents' house in Oxfordshire, this is the F1 More Thing podcast with your host, a man who, if he isn't allowed to drive that train, will happily nominate himself to shovel copious amounts of E10 coal into the engine pit, causing immense danger to him and the passengers. It's Joe Pilbrow. Welcome to F1 More Thing, a podcast all about a sport that this week has returned in excellent form, or at least two weeks ago, if that bit of script that I wrote a week ago and never finished was relevant. So yes, we've had two races. You join me on the Thursday, the 31st of March. It's uh, early afternoon, which is why I'm eating my breakfast. And uh, this is one of the first days off of work that I've had some time to sit and record a podcast, so forgive me. I don't think there were too many people um, waiting, avidly, just excited for the podcast. You never know, but I'm sure I'm sure we can wait. What it does mean, though, is that we're going to do a sort of extended double-header type analysis. And it's not going to be in-depth looking at data. I don't have any, but I can tell you what I've seen what it looks like it's setting up for the new season, what the shock storylines are, and uh, what we can look forward to this weekend in Melbourne. So thanks to the F1 calendar for giving me a week uh, in between these races. Uh, I'm sure in a couple of years' time it will just be a race every weekend. Um, most of them will be in the America, uh, and then we'll have, I don't know, maybe we'll do three in the UK and and six in in China, but we won't go back to Germany for a while, I can guarantee it. And also I imagine at some point they'll add races on a Wednesday as well, just to just to keep the calendar flowing, you know. You don't want to let people forget about Formula One for half a second during the week. So get a race on a Wednesday, why not? Sprint qualifying on a Tuesday. Let's sort it out. But anyway, we come to Bahrain where as you will be aware Charles Leclerc and Ferrari and Carlos Sainz and Ferrari 
scored a 1-2 to start the season in the best way possible. Charles Leclerc was right in saying that is exactly how you want to start a season. And it was a fantastic race. We saw Max and Charles going at it for quite a few laps, which was lovely to see. And they were able to pass, able to overtake each other, able to repass on following laps. And I have to say, Charles Leclerc outraced him. He was just doing cleverer things. He was letting him up the inside so he could take the DRS on the next lap. He was doing what I think is just smarter racing. And I've always had this theory that the people, the drivers that spend time, at least a year or two, in a difficult car, or a car that isn't challenging for the win with ease, get so much better at racecraft. That's not a, a, a groundbreaking discovery, but I think it's something we forget when we talk about George Russell or Charles Leclerc. You know, Sergio Perez, for example, has been in only really a properly good car. You know, yeah, he was at McLaren for a bit, but and yeah, he was in a pretty good racing point, but he's never been in a top car, and now he's able to hustle a car around a circuit in a different way to someone like Lewis Hamilton, who has got a difficult car now and is not able to immediately click with it, is not able to hustle it in the same way because I think there is an element to learning instinctively how to mistrust a car rather than trust it. You know, George Russell's come from a Williams that has not been consistent, but has, he's, he's learned to hustle and he's learned where to trust it. And he seems to have hit the ground running in these first two races at least slightly faster in what is a difficult car to hustle around a lap. And I'm not saying that he's already better than Lewis and, and Lewis is the number two and Lewis is rubbish. Obviously, it's not, it's not true. Lewis is going to find it. But there has to be a psychological difference in the way that you drive a car that is really difficult to drive, like a 2019-2020 Williams compared to a 2019-2020 Mercedes, for example. But I think Charles Leclerc, with his couple years now of being in a Ferrari that hasn't been challenging, and, and all the we talk about it with people in the midfield quite a lot in the sense that their racecraft and the amount of the race that they have to be continuously fighting and continuously finding small little tricks around a lap and throughout a race to gain a position or gain uh, some points at the end of the race, it's going to hone your skills. And maybe I'm looking too deep into it. I almost definitely am. But the way that Charles Leclerc was racing was incredibly calm and collected and intelligent and, and just letting Max Verstappen take the lead. You don't hear that very often on purpose, just so he could retake it again. And he knew where he's charging the battery. He knew, you know, not to extend all of his gears on the main straight, not to go into eighth. And not only was it a calm, collected, and successful performance in Bahrain, but it also seemed to say, "I understand how you drive, Max. 
and I've got some tricks up my sleeve for it, you know? Um, it seemed that in 2021, Verstappen was the person that had to come with tricks, you know, had to be challenging Hamilton with something different. And now that Verstappen is the sort of reigning champion, Leclerc is the new Verstappen in that sense and saying, you know, I think it, it helps that they race in a similar way anyway, but still, it's a, it's an immensely exciting prospect for 2022 and I'm excited for it. So the two cars that are the fastest, certainly at the start of the season, are Ferrari and Red Bull. And I have a slight a slight sort of untechnical, non-technical theory about Mercedes struggling at the moment. And it's to do with the way in which they've approached their previously championship winning cars. So let's take Ferrari, for example, first. They've gone for a very solid, stable, fast-in-the-corners car, especially the high-speed ones. And they just seem to be, you know, consistently fast everywhere, not necessarily groundbreaking straight-line speed or ridiculously fast through the slow corners. But they just seem to be fast enough everywhere to be consistent and to be on top of things. And Red Bull have gone for a different approach. They seem to be really fast on the straights, but they lose a bit in the corners. And so it's f it's funny that this is the the two car designs and perspectives that are going against each other at the moment in the first two races is completely different takes on it. It's not both teams and both cars have done the same thing and they're achieving the lap time in the same places and therefore they're at the front. They're both doing different things and both getting to the same point on the track. And that's a really interesting place to start a season from. But the Mercedes at the moment, just especially with some of the data that I've copped a look at on Twitter, it's not the fastest on the straights. It's not the fastest in the corners. It just seems to be lacking something from everywhere. And it's just struggling consistently. And, and the drivers are having to try and do things and try and hustle things from the car that it just doesn't have. And it seems that Mercedes have been the opposite of that for the past few years. They've just been really good at every little bit of a track. You, you wouldn't be able to say that Mercedes specifically lacked anything from especially their 2019 and 2020 cars um, in terms of straight line speed. They've had a dominant power unit. They've had great aerodynamics. They've had great reliability. You know, the only thing I can really think of that really was a problem for them was the fact that their car occasionally was designed to be at the front and just power off into the distance. And sometimes it would overheat from being behind other cars if uh, something happened in qualifying or the race uh, start was messed up. But that's really not a big problem to have, is it? It's a very nice problem to have, in fact. But it seems that... I don't know if it's something about this new philosophy of car but judging from the Ferrari and the Red Bull it seems that you 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 have to embrace an element of not extremity necessarily but you have to embrace a certain philosophy and go with it early and what I fear that Mercedes have done is they've tried to make a car that's good at everything like they have before and I yeah I've said that Ferrari is good in lots of places but obviously they're sacrificing straight line speed 
in order to be good in the corners, and therefore Red Bull are doing the opposite and catching them up. I don't know whether Mercedes have gone to too much of a middle-of-the-road philosophy early doors, and it just means their car doesn't have an edge anywhere. And, you know, maybe when they bring an upgrade to Australia and the forthcoming races, they will suddenly turn up and they'll be good everywhere, and they just needed to do something to the weight, something to the downforce, something to the power unit of their car, although it doesn't seem like the power unit at the moment. In fact, it just seems that it's a coincidence that all of the Mercedes-powered cars are aerodynamically flawed, which is a big coincidence. You couldn't have predicted something like that, that all of the mercedes power. It just seems obvious that it would be the power unit, but... According to the the data and the top speeds and that kind of stuff, apparently not. That's my sort of small theory based on these first two races as to maybe what it means to create a fast car under these regulations. Maybe you just don't get a car that's good at everything. Maybe it's too early to tell. You know, I'm not saying that Ferrari aren't good on the straights because they clearly have the strongest power unit at the moment, as an all-rounder, they've got the most reliable one, it's got the most cars and customer teams in the points, and it seems to be treating everybody very well. So it's not exactly a flawed power unit, it's just not as good as Red Bull's in terms of straight-line speed. But that could well be the downforce too, or just the the lack of wing that Red Bull picked for Saudi Arabia, for example. But it is very interesting to see how the teams have gone about that and how they're achieving that, and the ways in which teams like Mercedes haven't nailed it straight away. But certainly when it comes to Saudi Arabia and qualifying, I'm I'm still at a loss as to how Hamilton's side of the garage messed that up as crazily as they did. You know, it's the the, the line at the moment is that they went down a development or a setup route that, that didn't quite work out for them. But I don't know. Surely there's more signs that that's not the route to go down earlier on in in practice and that kind of thing. And surely there's things that they've done with that car in the setup that you you just wouldn't think there'd be any benefit of to be that far far back. And I don't know, maybe maybe they they were quite similar on setup. And I'm my my theory of George Russell having had a car that's difficult to drive for three years isn't suddenly shocked when there's a car that's difficult to drive. And you you learn to trust a car that is maybe less trustworthy than than a championship winning one. But I don't know. I'm still imagining that they will come into Australia with an upgrade and be right there and, and it will be a three-way title fight. And when was the last time we had one of those? It's got to be 2012, somewhere around there, where you had Red Bull and sort of McLaren and sort of Ferrari. So it's been a while, 10 years, since we've had a three-way title fight. And I'm maybe I'm getting ahead of myself there by saying that we're going to have one this year, but it seems like we could. It's really not been a good start for Red Bull powertrains. Three of their engines out of the four decided they didn't want to uh, take any fuel anymore. Well, I think that's what the Red Bulls did. I'm not sure about Gasly's. I think that was... Well, it did set on fire, so it was probably fuel-related, but 
not a great way to start off your campaign as a sole provider of your own engines, but I suppose you want that kind of thing to happen at the start of a season so that you can feel as if you have something to gain back later on in the year. The first race in Bahrain went incredibly well for Mercedes. So Ferrari won two, a 3-4 for Mercedes is spectacular damage limitation. Magnussen, fifth. What a guy. You know what? When he, when he was in F1 before, I was never that fussed about him. Um, looking back, did a lot more spectacular things with that Haas when it was even half decent um, than I gave him credit for. And so I'm I'm happy about I'm happy about the guy coming back. And I mean, it shows one how good the car is, and two how decent he is that he can so comprehensively be the best of the rest in his first race back. Um, I'm hoping Mick can up his game to, to match him. At the moment, it seems, in the first two races at least, that Kevin has the the handle on him. But I'd like to say that Mick can come up to meet him and get in the points himself. Bottas, you know what? It looked for a while in qualifying and in the races that Bottas could quite easily have the handle on Russell in an Alfa Romeo, and then obviously in qualifying in the uh, in Saudi Arabia, beat Hamilton anyway. But I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of Bottas just being a consistent fifth, sixth. Um, if a mad race happens, I think he'd be a good contender for finding a podium out of nowhere, or you know, if we have a a sort of hungry type race where loads of people just get taken out i can i can see him being the one to complete the job for them and to get on the podium which would be cool um ocon sonoda alonso and joe round out the top 10 in bahrain alpine double points pretty good start and in saudi arabia they did even better i don't know why they let them race for so long you know they could have very easily close the gap towards the car in front and and maybe even had a better result. In the end, didn't matter for Alonso. He was out of Saudi Arabia, but regardless. Good start from Joe. Shows that Alfa Romeo have a good car, that they could have double points, and especially with a rookie, so it was pretty good. Mick Schumacher, Stroll, Albon, Ricardo, Norris, Latifi, Hulkenberg, Perez, Verstappen, Gasly, all DNF'd. One of the saddest things I suppose we need to talk about at the start of the 2022 season is where the hell have McLaren gone? Uh, they were absolutely nowhere in qualifying in Bahrain. They finished 14th and 15th in Bahrain. It just seemed that they had all too naturally settled into becoming a backmarker in the first few laps. And it was, uh, yeah, quite quite depressing, especially with you know the, the talented drivers that we know they have to be stuck back there is kind of depressing it's also depressing how awful ricardo's uh career choices have been in terms of which team he goes to when i know it's a, a running joke that he's essentially just followed carlos Sainz, so he's got ferrari next but carlos Sainz has gone to exactly the right teams at the right time in order to progress his career and also when a team is on the up in terms of car development Renault was slowly getting there when he was there and McLaren had a great two years and now he's gone to Ferrari when they potentially have a title winning car. Absolutely 
complete luck, but is it, I suppose? I don't know how much science plays a role in, in making those teams and cars great, but it does seem a bit sort of time-dependent. But Ricardo has had the complete opposite luck, which is a shame. It, uh, is a, it's apparently a just a complete lack of downforce for the car pretty much everywhere in every section you know the power unit isn't particularly special you know it's matching everybody else's pretty much um but it just seems that they just don't have the grip anywhere and if you don't have any downforce you're just going to ruin your tires and you'll be out of the race so in saudi arabia norris did all right to finish seventh um but then only 13 cars actually finished so I don't know where he might have ended up if Albon, Bottas, Alonso, Ricardo, Latifi, Sonoda and Mick Schumacher hadn't either DNF'd or not started in the first place. But at least they're on the board. Yeah, again, Russell did incredibly well to finish fifth and just had the one of the loneliest races I've ever seen. Couldn't keep up with Ferraris and Red Bulls, but wasn't so slow as to be in the reaches of Ocon and Norris behind him. Ended up 30 seconds behind Perez, who was the, the fourth in the Red Bull. I don't know how you find 30 seconds in a race, you know, over a lap. I don't know how you find that in qualifying. I don't doubt them to suddenly change something and just they're, they're there again, but it would be impressive. Um... Magnussen, again in the points in Saudi Arabia. Not as good as uh, the first race, but not too bad. And Aston Martin, the final two cars that did actually finish the race. And yet again, Hulkenberg comes in as a sub and is matching or faster than Stroll. I mean, you really have to question what the hell Stroll is doing there. You know, I, I gave Stroll a bit of... You know, yes, he is there because his dad owns the team. But, you know, when he had that pole in the racing point and he's had a couple of good races here and there, I started to think, okay, well, yes, he is there for daddy's cash reasons, but he is also not too bad. So, fair enough, he's put in some good performances and I'll let him off. But recently, especially in this season, he's been absolutely nowhere in comparison to a teammate that, should be absolutely nowhere. You know, you expect Hulkenberg to be absolutely nowhere. Um, and, you know, it hasn't been spectacular, but it's been impressive to just jump straight into a car again. And um, he hasn't, just Stroll hasn't even been able to match Hulkenberg. And I'm having the same thoughts in regards to Latifi at the moment. You know, I'd sort of not seen him do anything spectacular in the Williams. And then he had a couple of good performances towards the end of last year. And I thought, okay, maybe he's just a slow learner. He's going to get there. He's going to grow into that car and that team. And he seems to fit the team quite well. And him and Albon seem to get on quite well and have been teammates in the past. This is going to go marvellously for him. And then just unforced errors. Like the one in Saudi Arabia, he's crashed into the wall very similarly to the way that he did in Abu Dhabi last year. And it was a complete own goal. He's not even racing anybody. He's, it's like he... Well, to be honest, it reminds me of me 
when I'm playing the F1 game and I suddenly start to think about what time my tea is going to be and that's the point where I just lose it and spin out on my own. That's what it reminds me of. But that's all right because I can just click replay and cheat and go and have my dinner and come back to the race later. But he, on the other hand, gets out of the race, gets out of any contention of maybe picking up a loose 12th just because it seems that he's lost it and and gone into the wall on his own. And I think, you know, has he done that? Th- did he do it in Bahrain as well? Regardless, he didn't have a very good race. And he it's almost three races in a row. You know, how many times does someone have to self-own themselves before you go, okay, maybe we don't need your Lavazza money. Let's just uh, get our own coffee. You know, he was five seconds behind Norris in Bahrain and finished two seconds in front of Hulkenberg. It's not, it's not really good enough, is it? It's not really good enough, Nicholas. Just the one wall, actually. But you have to think about all of the different drivers that not only want the opportunity to drive in Formula 1, but would be far better. I just keep coming back to Nick de Vries being a very solid choice for an F1C or Colton Herter, who's getting closer and closer, it feels, in the background to getting into Formula 1 or Pato Award. It would be great to see one of them in and to see whether they can get through a race before... accidentally losing the rear end on your own and and then saying, I have no idea what happened. That's another thing as well about Latifi, is it seems that he has no idea how it's happened. And you watch it on TV and you go, I can see how it happened. You went into that corner too fast, shut your pants, and you're in the wall. And it's a real shame, because it makes me think that maybe I could do it. And uh, that's the most toxic trait of my personality is thinking that maybe I could be better than Latifi just because I went go-karting once as a child. Another very interesting thing about the first couple of races and specifically Max Verstappen and I'm not the first to say this um, Jolian Palmer made a very good point and Martin Brundle has also said a similar thing that Max is racing differently this year. Um there's a few opportunities in both Bahrain and Saudi Arabia where it seems that last year he would have just lobbed it up the inside and 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 made his opponent deal with it kind of thing and he hasn't done it he's been slightly more reserved you know he if he was fighting for a place in Bahrain there was a couple times where he actively let Charles take the breaking zone and take the wider line and I don't know it, it didn't seem like the same driver that we were watching last year and I, I think I would like to think that it's a I've got a championship now I don't need to look as desperate as he did sometimes in 2021 or maybe he has genuinely overviewed his driving and the aggression that he had in 2021 and said I don't need to do that anymore and maybe I don't want to or Maybe it's not the way in which these cars drive the best. Maybe he's still understanding the car. Maybe it's the fact that it's Charles. You know, I don't know. But it's certainly different. And I don't know why, if it is Charles, that you would drive any different. In fact, it, I 
I would bet that Max Verstappen of 2021 would say, I drive against everybody the same. And pretty much every driver says that. But it seems more respectful. I don't know whether there's a sort of a deeper personal respect between him and Charles because they're the same generation and they sort of grew up together. Maybe that plays a role in how they race. But also, it doesn't seem that Charles' driving style would necessarily be affected by Max's in the same way that Lewis's was. You know, I think it was a shock to Lewis last year that, not a shock necessarily, but he certainly had to change his driving style and he admits it himself to accommodate for Max's. But with Charles's being very similar to Max's, maybe they don't, it's like a, a rock and a hard place or a immovable object versus whatever the other bit of that metaphor is. Maybe Max knows from experience that racing Charles in the same way that he raced Lewis isn't actually the most effective way to race Charles. Maybe he's figuring just maybe he's just figuring out the car still and doesn't feel as confident in just lobbing something up the inside and hoping for the best like he did with twenty twenty one, you know, a, a car and a regulation that you're used to and have been used to for the last four or five years, and it's still very similar to the one that he joined Formula One in. But I think it's a very interesting point to note, and we're going to look at that throughout the whole of the season, I think, as a interesting storyline. You know, if, if Max is driving like that throughout the whole of the season, regardless of how much the pressure ramps up during a title fight that we assume he's going to be in, maybe that will be a very interesting development in the career of Max Verstappen because the way that Max drove was even more aggressive than any driver we've ever seen but that it matches the increased aggression and and need to win that almost all drivers have in their pursuit of a first world drivers championship and maybe that need once you've got the one calms down but maybe that's to your benefit you know driving in the calm and collected way that both him and Charles drove in that first race and had great battles in Saudi Arabia too, keeps the ball rolling but keeps the pressure off you. So therefore maybe allows you to win even more vociferously, you know. And Max has so much more time in his career to achieve world championships that maybe he's, yeah, just gone, well, I've achieved the one goal I had in my whole life and any more is a bonus. So I'm going to do this in a way that is going to earn respect and is, I think it's a more rewarding win when you do it in the way that he did in Saudi Arabia. You know, there wasn't any controversial things. You know, of course, they're fighting for DRS lines and stuff like that, but that's just the nature of that racetrack and the way in which you have to win. But maybe once you've got that one world title, you just think, if I'm going to win another one, I want it to be without controversy. I want people to remember it as a, he without doubt deserved that one. So that'll be interesting to watch throughout the season. Okay, I think that'll do it. A short overview in the grand scheme of things of uh, the first couple of races and how it looks like it's going to shape up for the rest of the season. Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, thank you. You've introduced us to some very, very good racing and... Uh, there's going to be a lot of tracks in which the style of racing for these brand new cars is going to be even more suited. Um, I'm looking forward to how 
awful Monaco is going to be in terms of um, raceability. The cars aren't very good around slow speed corners, and they're massive and heavy, so it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some interesting storylines that will have popped up by then that will keep us going, or some interesting things in qualifying. But part of me thinks that Monaco might not last for too much longer on the calendar. Um, it should, because it's iconic and important to the history. But at the same way, I don't know, We, we maybe we could just have a, a big, big old qualifying session, give lots of points on for qualifying, just to increase the amount of mad laps that the drivers are able to do. Because that's the most exciting bit, isn't it? It's qualifying. The race can be relatively boring unless someone gets trapped in a pit stop for 24 hours. Hello again to Valtteri. So I've touched on a few teams very very lightly. They uh, A lot of them just seem to have not started in the ideal way and have dropped back. Um, I'm sure they'll have their, their moments and lots of cars are going to be bringing upgrades at the next race and throughout the next few races. So that could very much switch up the order for the better or for the worse for your favourite team. So it's going to be incredibly interesting to see. I'm looking forward to Australia. It's going to be nice to have a slightly different race for all of the UK people watching and European people watching. You know, it's going to be a sit up with your coffee type race rather than have an alcohol-free beer in a small can, which is what I currently drink. So it's going to be a nice experience. It's going to be very nice to go back to Australia and uh, we'll be able to see Danny Rick's smiling mouth all the way from here in Oxford. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for sticking with me. And thank you for following, if you have, on all of the social media, at F1 More Thing, Instagram, Twitter. If you wanted to email and talk to me about some things that I should have mentioned on this podcast but haven't, or some things that you would like to talk about, then please do. F1 More Thing at gmail.com. For now, friends, I'll see you next time.